how much do you really know about the Holy Spirit? You say, well, why is that important? Because, well, that is the representative of the Godhead right now on the earth at this time. Jesus Christ isn't here at this time. He's gone back to heaven. And he has sent the Holy Spirit. And if you are saved, he lives inside of you. If you're not, he doesn't. If you are saved, he can guide you, he can teach you, he can lead you, uh, he can empower you, and give you as a Christian all the things that we need to serve the Lord. Are you interested in learning about the Holy Spirit? The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew and the 28th chapter, Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start a series at this hour on the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about prayer up to now, and it's kind of a nice springboard and a natural transition to go from that subject to this one. And here in Matthew 28, we go to familiar ground, the Great Commission, but there's something that we often overlook in the Great Commission, and that is that we find the Trinity there. And within the Trinity, of course, we find the Father and the Son, but we find the third person of the Trinity. How well do you really know Him? How much do you really know about the Holy Spirit? You say, well, why is that important? Because, well, that is the representative of the Godhead right now on the earth at this time. Jesus Christ isn't here at this time. He's gone back to heaven. And he has sent the Holy Spirit. And if you are saved, he lives inside of you. If you're not, he doesn't. If you are saved, he can guide you. He can teach you. He can lead you. uh, He can empower you and give you as a Christian all the things that we need to serve the Lord. So it behooves us to understand him. In Matthew 28, And in verse number 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We find three parts here to the Great Commission. Of course, teach all nations means make disciples or win souls. The last part, instructing them, that's what we call discipling after they've been born again. In the middle, we find that they are to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one and the same. Now again, we've talked much about the Father and the Son, but we're going to start a series at this, this hour about the Holy Spirit, and may God help us to understand them better as we learn these truths. Let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you, dear Lord, now for direction and guidance through thy spirit and listening. Give to us, first of all, listening ears. Father, the devil would love to distract and cause our minds to wander. And so we're going to have to hone in on these truths. And Father, I just pray as a result, we could understand the spirit of God in a way we never have before. And it would so enhance our Christian lives. We pray now and ask for your help. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are times where we forget the creator of everything is a trinity. The supreme monarch, the universal ruler, the king of kings 
is a trinity. There's no missing it in the Bible. We find it at the creation. We find back in Genesis 1.26 that God said, let us make man in our image. Who's God talking to there? Well, he's talking to himself. But notice the plurality. Let us, the trinity, make man in our image. You say, what's God like? Well, we know in, in, in some ways he's like us. We are like God because we are made in his image. God is a trichotomy. God is a three-part being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So are we. Body, soul, and spirit. But notice right off the bat, we find a trinity. And then at the baptism of Jesus Christ, guess who's there again? In Matthew 3.16, it says, And Jesus, there's the Son, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw, secondly, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I wonder who that was. Well, that's the Father. So there at the baptism of Christ, you even have the Trinity present there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Later on, when Christ was about to ascend up to heaven, we find here in our text that he mentions to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then after his ascension, decades later, the beloved disciple John is writing. And in 1 John 5, 7, he says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And so there's no missing it. Somehow the cults do. They knock on your doors with all kinds of false doctrine, amongst which the Trinity, they don't believe in it. And they don't believe that the Holy Spirit is God. They don't understand the Bible because they don't know the author of the Bible. We find this great benediction in 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen, As the apostle closes that epistle, he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. There it is, folks, the Trinity, the Trinity. So it behooves us to study the doctrine of the Trinity, but within the doctrine of the Trinity, it behooves us to study the person of the Holy Spirit. Are you interested in learning about the Holy Spirit and who He is and what He does in this day and age? He is grossly overlooked. He is grossly ignored even in churches like ours. Have you ever been ignored when I was uh, probably in high school, we had this little thing we were doing just for kicks, and, and that is if we saw somebody when we were driving and they saw us and, and we're waving and all that, we'd just ignore them, just kind of blow it off, and later on we'd laugh about it. Has anyone seriously ever just ignored you, though? Well, folks, we have ignored the Holy Spirit. And sad to say, He has been lost in the shadow of the Father and the Son. Not only that, but because there are religious groups who have taken him to an extreme, we've kind of had a knee-jerk reaction and pulled away from studying him. There are groups that mention the Holy Spirit three to one over Jesus Christ, and that is backwards, because Christ said, when, when, when the Spirit comes, he will testify of me. So it's the job of the Holy Spirit to testify of Jesus Christ. And any spirit that's going around saying, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, something wrong with that spirit, see what I'm saying? And so as a knee-jerk reaction, we pulled away. We just, okay, we're, we're not going to really mention him much. But the Holy Spirit is the current representative of the Godhead on this earth. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us wisdom. And he also comforts us. And so we really need to study the person of the Holy Spirit. 
We're going to be looking at three aspects of them today. And first one is what I call the biblical composition of the Holy Spirit. In other words, by that I mean our Bible was given to us by, of course, God. But who more specifically? Well, it was the Holy Spirit who gave us the Bible, the Holy Spirit who inspired the Bible, the Holy Spirit who composed the Bible. So let's talk about this biblical composition of the Holy Spirit. Let's go way back to Genesis, shall we? In fact, Genesis chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want to make a point, and I want you to get this point. Everything God does, He does by His Word. And that's what makes the Bible so important. He, he just says it. He speaks it. Boy, there were many times as we were building this church building that I just wished I could have just walked into the sanctuary and said, let there be beams standing there. Let there be sheetrock upon those beams. Let those beams be mudded. And let there be carpet on the floor. And let the... it, it just didn't work that way, did it? I can't speak it into existence, but God can. Everything God does, He does with His Word. Note it here in Genesis chapter 1, just a few verses. Look at verse 14. And God said, let there be lights. Notice in verse 20, and God said. All he had to do was say it. Notice in verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after his kind. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image. All he had to do was say it, and it happened. Verse 29, and God said. So everything God does, he simply does through his word. You know that when the Antichrist walks this earth, and he, he does his devilry for his seven-year period. At the end of it, Christ is going to destroy him. You know how? We read in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, And then shall that wicked, talking about the wicked one, the Antichrist, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. All he's got to do is just speak it, and it happens. Everything God does he does with his word. So when it comes to the biblical composition, the, the word of God, it's incredibly important because this is everything God wants us to know this side of heaven. He has spoken it into existence. So how did we get it? How did we receive it? Well, let's get more specific here. This is how. We read in 2 Peter 1.20 that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, we don't sit in a circle and read a verse and say, now what's it mean to you? Well, here's what it means to me. What's it mean to you? Well, here's what it means to me. And what's it mean to you? No, no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. We compare Scripture with Scripture to arrive at the right place. It goes on and it says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. In other words, some guy didn't just... Say, I'll take a quill and some parchment, and I'll just kind of write whatever I'm feeling today. No, the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by who? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost composed the Bible. The biblical composition that we have, the Word of God, is given to us by the Holy Spirit. In fact, note that word moved there. As they were moved by the Holy Ghost literally means that God breathed it into them. We get our word breath from it. And, and so God breathed the words into the, the prophets. We call that verbal plenary inspiration. Big expression, but simply means God breathed. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. I've read the Bible enough to know that Peter writes with a certain style. Luke certainly writes with a certain style. Paul certainly writes with a certain style. So how could it be the same Holy Spirit when these men wrote so differently? Certainly their personality comes through. Well, here's the answer to that. 
We read in Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You know what that tells me? That tells me before Moses began to write Genesis 1.1, it was already written in heaven. It was, it was settled in heaven. There was a Revelation 22.21 before there was a Genesis 1.1 written by Moses. It was all written in heaven. And so... God made a Paul to write with that style. God made a Peter to write with that style. God made a Luke to write with that style. The Word of God was forever settled in heaven. It had already been given, and, and the Spirit of God now inspired those men to write those things that already were in heaven. Look in John chapter 14. Have you ever read the New Testament, especially the four Gospels, and, and have you ever wondered how, how Peter or Paul or Luke or or uh, Matthew could have recalled such details, especially guys like Matthew and guys like John who walked with Christ. And, and years later, even decades later, John wrote his gospel decades later. How could he remember those very words that Christ had spoken? Well, look in John chapter 14. In verse number 26, Christ says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Well, it was easy for them to remember. They had the Holy Spirit reminding them and inspiring them to write those things that they wrote in their Gospels. Every conversation, every word. And today, even yet, the Holy Spirit continues to teach us truths from the Bible. In fact, we couldn't understand the Bible really I mean beneath the surface, without the help of the Holy Spirit. We read this in 1 Corinthians 2.9, that I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit. You know how we can come out at the right place doctrinally? We're all led by the same Holy Spirit. You know why the cults go way out in right field? Because they're not led by the Holy Spirit. They don't know the Holy Spirit. They don't have him living inside of him. And that is because they don't know the author, so they can't understand the book he's inspired. I heard of a, a lady years ago who checked out a book from the library, brought it home, began to read it, got a few chapters into it, and found it very dry and put it aside and took it back and put it in the night deposit thing there and and didn't think much of it until uh, she was at a certain book signing thing and she met the author and, and actually they, they dated a few times after that. And she got to know him a little bit and went back and she read his book. And once she had met the author, it came alive to her. Folks, when you meet the author, and I did over a, a third of a century ago, before that time it was a closed book to me. After I got saved, it like opened up. Because you have the author living inside of you, and suddenly you can understand the book. Now, let me just say this about the book. God will never lead you, the Holy Spirit of God will never lead you contrary to the book. Because the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the truths of the Word of God are so intertwined that you cannot separate them. Somebody comes along and, and, and says, you know, I'm, I'm praying about marrying so-and-so. Well, is he saved? No, well, God's not leading you to do it. Don't even bother praying about it. You say, I'm praying about whether I should get baptized now that I've been born again. 
I'm wondering if God will lead me to be. You don't have to pray about that. The Holy Spirit has already inspired the book to say it's the first step of obedience and the answer of a good conscience after you have been born again. I'm praying about tithing. Don't bother. I'm praying about witnessing. You don't have to bother. The Holy Spirit has already told us what to do in those areas. You see what I'm saying? And God will never lead us contrary to his word. You say, this local church thing, I'm, I'm praying about whether to get involved in local church. That is God's institution, and you don't have to even pray about it. There are plain commands in the, in the Word. There are principles in the commands in, in, in the, the Word. And then there is guidance and direction from the Spirit of God on things that might be in a gray area. But God will never lead contrary to, to this book. He's the one who inspired it in the person of the Holy Spirit. So we see, first of all, the biblical composition of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, let's talk about becoming converted by the Holy Spirit. Look, if you would, in John chapter 3. Just turn back a few pages from where you're at there. And here we find in John chapter 3 a very famous discourse that took place one night where a, a rabbi, a Pharisee no less, a, a learned doctor of the law, snuck out to go and talk to Jesus Christ under the cloak of darkness because he was afraid of what others would think. His name was Nicodemus. We pick up the conversation here in John 3 and in verse 1. The Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. Now notice in verse 5, Christ says, Except a man be born of water, and everybody almost Everybody thinks that's baptism right away. and We've talked about that before. It's not. It's the washing of the water, the Word of God. But the second element there mentioned is the Spirit. Except a man be born of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born again? I don't know if there's an expression used more carelessly today than that one. People just throw it around. Well, it means to be saved, to have your sins forgiven, to be a child of God, to be on your road to heaven. It's salvation. It's, it's the most important thing you'll ever decide in this life. Have you been born again? Because Christ said, if you haven't, you're not going to heaven. Now, he mentioned here being born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. What is this talking about? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That is a transformation, friend. That is a metamorphosis. That's not uh, a New Year's resolution. That's not some kind of reformation where you make some decisions and you you say, I'm going to just change some things. It is a supernatural act of God done in, through, and by the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget after I got saved. And I I don't use this expression much, but I just felt different. You know what I'm talking about? I just felt different. I I was, the joy, the peace, the, the forgiveness, all of that, 
And it was like I was finding everyone I could and grabbing them by the lapel and telling them what happened to me. And I witnessed to a brother of mine, an older brother of mine, who has since gotten saved. He wasn't at that time, believe me. Uh, and, and he wasn't really into what I was telling him. But he listened politely. And then he said this. He said, I really wish I could get into it like you do. I really wish I could get into it. You know, I tried getting into it before I got saved. I went to a, a religious retreat weekends and, and, and got the sparkler lit and, and came out just, woo, and, and it lasted for a few days, and I was, had my, I was my old self again. I'm telling you, after a third of a century, I, I'll, I, I'll never go back. I'm not interested in going back. Something happened. What happened? It's supernatural. You are born of the Spirit of God. God comes in and He takes up residence within you. We read this in John 6, 63, that it is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. You can try and turn over a new leaf. You can try and reform your flesh. But the flesh profiteth nothing. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. Now, when did this all take place first of all? Well, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. We now have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us when we get saved. It hasn't always been like that. You say, what do you mean? In the Old Testament, if you study carefully, you'll find expressions like this. The Spirit of God came upon uh, Samson, or the Spirit of God came upon Saul, or the Spirit of God came upon this person. And what's implied there is that for certain uh, deeds, the Spirit of God would come upon somebody, but apparently did not indwell them. And in fact, look in John chapter 7. You're so close here. When did the Holy Spirit come to live within us and stay within us? Well, in John chapter 7 and in verse 37, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man of thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified, meaning hadn't resurrected from the dead yet and got his glorified body. So apparently at this time, the Holy Spirit did not reside within people permanently when they had gotten saved. Their folks saved at this point already, but apparently the Spirit of God was not residing in them permanently. In fact, turn to chapter 14, Let's just take a little walk through John here, and I think you'll see it. In John chapter 14, we find this verse. Christ is talking. He's actually praying, and this is his high priestly prayer before going to the cross. And he's mentioning the, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, he says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you, notice, and shall be in you. Now, he's in the presence of his disciples, and he's saying, fellas, he dwells with you now, but he's going to be in you. He's going to be, and that's future tense there. Now, you turn to chapter 20, and you find out when it actually took place. You find the resurrected Savior on the day of his resurrection. And in chapter 20, and in verse number 
20, let's pick it up in verse number 21. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So now he had been glorified. Now he had resurrected. And he breathes on them. Remember that word again? And remember the power of the same words that spoke the universe into existence. Now so simply just says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And at that point, they were now indwelt with the Holy Ghost. And believers have been ever since at the moment of salvation. Mr. Schofield uh, was a very zealous uh, Christian in his day. And, and many of, of God's people in churches like this have his, his version of the Bible, the King James Bible. But you will find a, a trinity of error in it. And that is that the church was started on the day of Pentecost by Holy Ghost baptism into a universal invisible uh, church. None of those are true. Bless his heart, he meant well, but there are many who have propagated that area and even Bible colleges uh, within our circles that don't have that right. The Holy Spirit was not given on the day of Pentecost. It was given here. There was an empowering on the day of Pentecost, but in, uh, the, the believers were indwelt at this very point. If it doesn't mean what it says there in John 20, I don't know what it means. He said, receive you the Holy Ghost, and he breathed on them. And from that point on, the Holy Spirit was residing within them. Now, if the Holy Spirit is not residing in somebody, plain and simply, they're not saved. We read in Romans 8 9, Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He is not a child of God, plain and simple. Look in Acts chapter 19. Let me show you an example of this, actually. During the days that followed Christ's ascension back up to heaven, we find the apostles covering the world with the gospel, and that's why it's called the Acts of the Apostles here. And you find that there was somebody by the name of of Apollos who um, was saved, loved the Lord, very zealous, but not very indoctrinated. And Aquila and Priscilla heard him, took him aside, and filled him in a little bit better, and he was a much better preacher as a result. But I think he did some damage before they did. And it's the same damage that there's a crowd today that is doing this with going around and just getting people to pray uh, sinners' prayers and make professions of faith and, and immersing them and saying, you're, you're, you're ready for heaven now, and they're not even saved. And Apollos had done some of that. Paul blows into town. He uh, starts talking to these men. There's a dozen in all. He senses something is wrong. We pick it up in verse 1 here. Acts 19 says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. You say, now, wait a minute, pastor. They're disciples. Well, a a disciple, that's a very broad expression, actually, in the Bible. It just means a follower of Christ now. It does not imply that they are born again. I'll show you in a moment. They're they're definitely not. So he, he finds these certain disciples. He said unto them, have ye received the Holy Ghost? since ye believe. Now let's stop there. Remember what we read a moment ago in Romans 8? If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And uh, so, so Paul sensed these guys, uh, they had no clue what they were doing. I mean, Apollos just got a prayer out of them. Same stuff's going on today, by the way. And uh, 
blew out of town. So he's quizzing them, and he says, Did you receive the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. In other words, who's the Holy Ghost? Uh, They were messed up. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? They said, Well, unto John's baptism. And maybe that was uh, the big deal that Apollos went around just kind of get people baptized. Paul's going, Oh, Apollos has been here again. Well, anyway... In verse 4 then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. Now he's given them the gospel. Repentance and faith. A uh, acknowledging of your sin, a, a, a change of mind about it. And so John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe, there's the faith, on him that should come after him, that is on Christ, on Christ Jesus. So he gives them the gospel, repentance and faith in that verse. They get saved. And verse 5 tells us when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's how I know they weren't saved before. Paul wouldn't have baptized them over again if they had already been saved. So here they were with their false profession, and they didn't even hear of the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon uh, people for certain deeds. After the resurrection, he comes in the moment that we get saved. On that note, i, I got to say this. Be careful about using Old Testament characters as an excuse for your sin. You know, we can look at a, a lot and say, he's going to give his daughters to the sodomites? Uh, unbelievable. And he was a just man according to the New Testament. He was saved? Yeah, he was saved. But the Holy Spirit wasn't residing in him permanently. We can look at a Samson going, man, this guy's hanging around harlots down there in Gaza, and, and he was born again. Well, yeah, but didn't have the Spirit of God residing in them. So don't use their behavior. That's all I'm saying. See what I'm saying? Well, King Saul, he killed the priests of Nob. I've never done anything that bad. Well, don't justify your behavior by those Old Testament characters. David committed adultery, and we can go on and on. In fact, you're close. Just turn a page back. This, this verse comes to mind if I can find it. Verse 30. Acts 30 says, 1730, says, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now, there's a whole lot of preaching here, and you and I could debate what it means until the cows come home, but it's definitely referring back to Old Testament times and not saying that God swept sin under the carpet, but there was, there was really more room for their behavior than now. He says, now you need to repent. We have no excuse, folks. We have the Spirit of God living within us. We receive Him at salvation. We read in Galatians 3, 2, it mentions, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, notice it mentions receiving the Spirit. It's implying, obviously, by faith and not the works of the law. But again, the reason that the cults are out in left field without a glove when it comes to spiritual matters is because they have never been born again. When we get saved, the Spirit of God takes up residence within us. Now, We've talked about the biblical composition of the Holy Spirit, becoming converted by the Holy Spirit. But finally, let's talk about being Christ-like as a result of the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1, if you would, and I'm going to build here on something. You're going to have to really follow me. The beginning, the very beginning of the life of Jesus Christ on planet Earth begins with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Uh, In Luke 1... Notice as the angel Gabriel is making the Annunciation, as we call it, and he tells Mary, you're going to have a baby, and and, and she says in verse 34, how shall this be, 
seeing I know not a man. Verse 35, Luke 1. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So how did Mary conceive? Well, by the power of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God touched the womb of that little virgin maiden, and she was suddenly bringing the Son of God into this world. We read Matthew one twenty. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him, Joseph, in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So the very uh, humanity, if you will, the existence of Jesus Christ on this earth begins as a result of the Holy Spirit. Now, as, as Christ uh, goes from one to two to three to four, and he, he, through his, his childhood years, imagine him never sinning. And of course, as a man, we know he lived his life not as God the Son primarily, but as a Spirit-filled man. Look in, in Luke chapter 4. He had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke 4 and in verse 1, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Even he was led by the Spirit of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Everything he did was in the power of the Holy Spirit. We read this in Matthew twelve twenty eight. He said, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Notice he ministered. He cast out devils, not in his power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. When it came time to die, you know how he died? With the help of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. We read in Hebrews nine fourteen. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works? Notice the heart of that verse tells us that Christ offered Himself and shed that blood through the eternal Spirit. And one day, Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth to rule and reign. We call it the Millennial Kingdom. Guess how He's going to rule and reign? Well, way back in Isaiah 1 or Isaiah 11... It says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge. Notice the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon Christ, and he's going to rule and reign in the power of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus Christ did, what he's done, what he will do, he has done and will do in the person and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I'm driving at. What about us? If we are going to be Christ-like, we are going to have to be led and filled with the Holy Spirit. So how do we lead a Christ-like, Spirit-filled life? Well, turn to Luke chapter 11. By asking for the Spirit's help. By asking and asking and asking. In Luke chapter 11 and in verse number 13... Christ says, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Question. Is this talking about a lost person asking to get saved and, 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 and him receiving the Holy Spirit? No. Because he's talking to Christians here. He's talking to born-again people already. And he says to them again in verse 13, if ye, 
as Christians, then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? So what are we to do? We are to ask Him for the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus Christ had to live His life and minister on this earth in the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more us? You know that after Christ ascended back up to heaven, they had a 10-day prayer meeting, didn't they? And the Holy Spirit fell upon that local church there at Jerusalem after they had prayed and asked for that power. Do we even acknowledge that we need the Holy Spirit? In fact, do we even acknowledge the person of the Holy Spirit? Most Christians don't. Christians by the millions don't. And that's why I say He is literally ignored, and yet He is the only representative of God on this earth right now. Think about it. The Holy Spirit. Most Christians fail to even acknowledge Him. Now, here is a a great, great truth I want you to consider as we wind this thing up. We are told in Philippians 2.5 to let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Just let that soak in for a second. The same mind Christ had were to have. All right? In fact, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. So we are, at this time, the representatives of Jesus Christ on this earth. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ walked this earth. He fed people. He cheered people. He helped folks who were mourning. He helped folks who were weary. He hugged little children. He comforted the bereaved. He, he loved people. He didn't gossip, by the way. He didn't hate. He didn't uh, indulge in sin. He didn't, he didn't retaliate and, and, and get even. Uh, uh, an evil thought never even went through his mind. That is the kind of life Jesus Christ walked this earth and lived 2,000 years ago. In fact, to sum it up, Acts 10.38 said that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. What am I driving at? Well, we're to let this mind be in us which was in Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ now upon this earth. Jesus Christ, when He walked this earth in the power of the Holy Spirit, went about doing good. But that was 2,000 years ago. How is that going to help this world today? I mean, he was in Palestine. This is the Red River Valley we're in. Think about it. That was the first century. This is the 21st century. How will people here and now see Jesus? I think you're following me. God has devised a plan. It is for us to be Christ-like. How are we going to be Christ-like? Well, with the power of the Holy Spirit. How can we be a little Jesus and spread cheer? And how can we love people? And how can we minister? And and how can we help and win souls? How can we do all that? Well, we've got to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. That is the goal of this series. To learn how to be filled with with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but uh, I find it shocking how much we find in the Bible, in the New Testament especially, about the Holy Spirit, and yet how little He's really spoken about, and how much less He's even understood, but it all ties together. It all ties together. May God help us to be filled with the Holy Spirit as we learn more about this third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God. 
You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.